Hello, and welcome to Q&A Quest episode... Um, 108 Stars of Destiny. 100, oh, perfect. 108 Stars of Destiny. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me, as always... David McGurney, family master, keeper of the numbering. <laughs> and from Japan, the person who has not played a single one of these games but still recognizes the references and is probably a flying squirrel, guys from Notari, Michael Baker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ironically, the squirrels are optional even by Suicoden standards. They are not stars of destiny. I never said I was. Mm, I would I would say that like you know it's important we have you you're probably one of those stars I forget all their names who gets to I be detected pity whoever actually manages to remember all of their names uh, I've and known this is people the person did. who can name at least four hundred Pokemon in two or three different languages <laughs> listen the real question is who gets to be the Tenkai star which one is that that's the that's the protagonist star oh. Of the first game? Of all of the games. Like, the protagonist is always the Tenkai star. (laughs) The only only one where that's not the case is 3, and that's because 3 has a weird shifting protagonist thing going on. So I think your, like, tactician is the Tenkai star in that one. It's been a while. Probably way too long, to be honest. They're all very long. Yes. (laughs) Except for the first one. Dewey Coden 1 is, like, 12 hours long. (laughs) Yeah. It's nice and breezy. And the second one is long, mm-hmm. but it earns it, so... Yeah, but it's still 50 hours. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Especially when it just repeats the Necklord storyline entirely. Like, there's no change there. Yeah, that... I don't think that that was necessary. No, that part is a little weird. Uh, okay. We've already gotten sidetracked. Good okay, job. It's in a weird spot. Yeah, much quicker than usual. Uh, so, <laughs> um, any random sidetracks to open with? Because I have some. Uh, I barely played any games this past week. I've been very busy. Well, let's see. I finished um, Nelky and the uh, Legendary Alchemists, or at least I got it to the point where it's on infinite management mode now. <laughs> so finished as much as it's going to let you finish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could I could go and re-optimize a couple of parts of town and build everything possible and get the rest of the trophies pretty easily, I'm sure, but I just haven't yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got like 80% or more of the trophies already. Uh, that's, that's probably enough trophies. Yeah. And for some of the others, it's like, build one of every kind of store. I'm not quite sure which ones I'm missing. Build one of every type of production area. I'm not sure which ones I'm missing because it's counting individual um, levels of shop, and I skipped a few. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh. So. so either that, or I just advancing as far as I could. It's it's mostly like a, an accounting and housekeeping thing at this point for getting the rest of the trophies. So, so is this get a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a thumb sideways? Well, speaking as someone who has never actually tried to play a real base building game before, um, sure, thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, it felt a lot like the early Atelier games, except that you're working at one remove from the actual workshop. Instead, you're you're the person ordering things from the (sighs) workshop. (laughs) Hmm. So from the workshops, because I believe I had 23 of them running by the oh, end. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> no, I mean that's the that's the total number of characters capable uh, and willing to run a shop for you, uh, run a workshop for you. Hmm. Um, there's at least a dozen more characters who theoretically are alchemists, but they don't they can't be bothered to actually <laughs> make stuff. I don't feel like alchemy. Yeah, they, there were several conversations to that effect. Um, but they are, they're willing to just go out and look for stuff for you while they're doing their, their own thing. I mean, I'll, I'll go look for things, just don't ask me to put them together. <laughs> <laughs> and in point of fact, at least one of these characters is incredibly Cinderay to begin with. So, The classic. Oh, God. That I phrase. mean, Cinderay in a completely non-romantic sense because she just doesn't have that relationship with Ellie. Mm. And unfortunately, the one character from Ellie's game who might possibly have had a romantic relationship with her was not included in the NPCs that showed up. As far as I know, I'm still missing like 12. <laughs> might just be hidden in that last pocket of them. Yeah. I mean, they kind of appear semi-randomly over the course of the game. Like every three or four uh, weeks, another one will show up. And the only real limitation seems to be that the protagonist of that particular game has to already be in town for them to show up. Mm. But, like, literally, like, the very first NPC character I got on the first time through the game was mm. an adventurer from uh, from Atelier Ellie, and the third time through the game, I got that same adventurer on turn 90-something. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's... But also, yeah. Wheels, the stream is a failure if you don't eat a pineapple whole. You can do that? Man, no. you should have you should have seen what happened in when Sea of Thieves first came out and like one of the people at Polygon like saw the video that they showed of like a dude eating a banana without peeling it and just imitated it for a video, like I actually tried to do that and oh. destroyed himself. And seems like was, a bad idea. The Twitter response from Rare was to show video of the of the, the character of like a Sea of Thieves character eating a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Between the skin cutting you up, the leaves cutting you up, and the core causing you to bleed internally because it has a natural meat tenderizing chemical in it. Yeah. There's also this is just a bad idea. Yeah, there's also just, I mean, even if it went in, I'm terrified of what happens when it goes out. But, yeah, it's a uh, bad idea. Don't think he replicated that. Probably would have, might, might have caused problems. <laughs> but yeah, this, it's yeah. the only Sea of Thieves anecdote I have, and I thought about it immediately. I apologize for interrupting, Gaijin. I have no idea what Sea of Thieves, Thieves is anyway, but it's a fun story. <laughs> it's an important story. It's a, it's a, Xbox game, which means that it has no presence in Japan. <laughs> well, it's on Windows too, which I guess also means also it has, has no presence, no presence in Japan. <laughs> oh, Windows has plenty of presence. Windows has presence. Windows gaming doesn't. Not particularly. I mean, there's plenty of PC gaming, but it's mostly local indie or yeah. RPG or RPG maker. You're the kind of person that, like, if you're if you're playing a uh, Windows game in Japan. You're the kind of person that is very heavily tracking what goes on at Bit Summit. Yeah, and quite possibly playing games that you would not like your mother to find out about. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the other option. Oh, I mean, there's no nothing to say that these options are mutually exclusive. In fact, they're probably not. 
Yeah, probably not. This does remind me of, like, I was reading, a, I was playing No More Heroes, Travis Strikes Again, and there was a guy that there was like the game has a bunch of non sequitur like bits of pseudo tutorial advice, mm-hmm. and one of them is uh, I forget what his name is, but it was basically like uh, play his games and you will learn the truth. And I looked it up because it was too specific a na- of a name for it not to be a real person I'd just never heard of. And like the thing that I saw on this man's list of credits was like he. Design, he makes games from the ground up himself, so like, you know, sound, graphics, programming, everything. But also, mm-hmm. on his list of credits were championship-level Bokoska Wars player, which is a 1983 Famicom game that is only known in the U.S. because of its lose screen, which is just, wow, you lose. And also on his credits list was a uh, what was described in the Bit Summit website in English as avant-garde puppet shows. Hmm. So, uh, okay, <laughs> the, the first thing that makes me think of is Kusek's character in Being John Malkovich. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was, that was a real tangent. It was just something that stuck in my head because the phrase avant-garde puppet shows holds an enchanting magic to me. Yeah. <laughs> Also championship-level Bokoska Wars player, but that's also less... That's le- it's less obvious why that's enchanting. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... Do you want to talk more about Alchemy, or...? Mm, no, nah, unless you guys want to know more about the game. Just, it's... Um, Thankfully, it's got an option to allow you to to just fast-forward through dialogue if you don't care or you don't know who the characters are. That's important. Considering there are, I mean, the cast list, you have four original characters for the game itself. And on top of that, 111 characters from other games. There's bound to be at least one of those games that you have either never played or don't remember. So, important. Well, I mean, there... For me, there are, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, eight of the 20 games I have not actually played. Um, both Manichemias, the Telly Iris games, and the last two Mysterious, and I never got around to playing Marudu. Mm-hmm. But um, with at least with the Mysterious games in Marudu, there's enough carryover between the other games in their own subseries that I recognize everyone anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, five of the games um, shown in this um, in Nalke never made it outside of Japan. Yeah, and uh, one of them, I know Violet showed up in I think Trinity Universe, one of the crossover games. Oh, oh why do I remember that game? Oh. Yeah, so oh. I'm not sure if that's a plus or a minus. It's a minus. It's a big minus. Oh, that's a bad game. But, yeah, as it is, there's a very limited number of NPCs from the first five games. Yeah, they'd be old even for the Japanese fans, so... Oh, no, are you kidding? No, I mean, I'm surprised there were so few from the first two games, to be honest, because those two have some of the most rabid fan bases. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, in the case of Judy, the fourth game, um, she makes an entrance on her way back through time at the end of her game because she's a time traveler to mm. begin with. So the only NPC from her game is a fellow time or chronologically challenged character. 
And of course, Pamela, because Pamela is in is an NPC in um, how many sixteen? Actually, no, she wasn't in the desk game. So thirteen different games in the series. Wow. <laughs> yeah, quite an attendance sheet. Oh, I mean, there are multiple scenes throughout Nelke where different characters are like, "Wow, talk about interesting!" Because you know all, this alternate universe thing, and we know someone who looks just like you. And she's like, "Oh, really? Is that the case? Okay. Well, oh, and it's nice to see you after da da da." And then she walks away, and they're like, "How did she know that?" <laughs> it turns out they were all the same. I mean, only, I mean, a couple of the characters remember that she's a ghost. Mm, that would make sense. <laughs> yes. Two of these characters don't realize that they're actually from the same continent, or the same country even, and that one of them missed the other's existence by five years. Just because she went back in time five years before the second character was born. Oh. <laughs> of course. Yes. Well, that's <clears throat> a complicated chronology. Um, yeah, like, I, rem I remember for a long period, like, Adelier was one of those series that they just ne didn't localize, and I assume was just going to stay that way, because before Adelier Iris, just didn't happen. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the Iris games are numbers 6, 7, and 8. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I mean, we can't really be too surprised after this. Yeah, because I remember... Uh, having seeing magazine previews very early in the PS2's lifetime when they were just like, well, what else are you going to preview? There's nothing else. Like, it's going to be a bunch of Japan games and not much else. And so I saw, like, previews for whatever the first PS2 one is that's not, like, a porter or an update of anything. It's just... PS2? Yeah, PS2. Uh, that would have been Lily. Yeah, Adelie or Lily. I'm thinking, that sounds neat, and... It was a Happy. buggy mess. Oh, I'm sure. Because a lot of them were. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I mean, it was a buggy mess to the point where they had actually managed to invalidate one of the primary quests of the game. I don't even know how you managed to get that through Sony's QA. <laughs> um, no, it was just, I mean, this, it, I mean, it's a game series where you have a, I mean, you have a goal that you're reaching for, and yeah. you don't necessarily have to do a lot of the stuff in it. It's just that in order to get through one of the major request plot lines, you need to be able to create a certain item, and due to the bug, you never got the recipe for this item. <laughs> well, you never got the recipe for one of the items needed to make it. Oh, boy. So that's why it was also the first game in the series to really get a plus version while the, current, the original version was still current. That explains why that one didn't come over. Uh... It also explains why my copy was so cheap. I presume it I, was... Because I didn't realize how big a difference there was between the regular and the plus oh. version. Oh. Yeah. There's a reason why it's like the single lowest, ra um, lowest rated Atelier game I've ever reviewed. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of those situations where like, I saw that there was, oh, there's already been several of these, we're not getting this one, I assume we'll just never get them. <laughs> yeah. And I was also seeing previews of it next to think games with names like Super Galdelic Hour, which we're best off not remembering that. Yeah, I've never heard that one, and I'm not sure if I wanted to. Yeah, it's best off. Yeah, uh, yeah so, so, I mean, uh, it's, it's nice to see the 
series continues to go strong, even in this strange tower management. <laughs> it's good to have spinoffs. It's good to have options. Yeah. I mean, in, in this case, it's a completely different kind of management game from the originals, but it still feels very much like the originals. Yeah, I suppose management is kind of core to their appeal, so yeah. different kinds of management make sense. Yeah, but I mean, it's much more like the original three games hmm. um, yeah. than the more plot-focused, uh, plot and exploration-focused ones that came later. Yeah, I think that's probably part of why they thought they could do Iris, is that it was more like a normal RPG. Iris was specifically created to be more like a classical RPG. Yeah, that would explain why that was the first one they quote-unquote took a chance on. Yeah. And um, the Manichemia games are similar in that regard, but Rorotna was supposed to be a return to a more traditional format while mm. trying to keep a lot of the things that people liked from the Iris concept. Mm. And it's also like the best, their first real big, big seller. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you said you had a big thing that you needed to tangent on? Not really a big thing, just enjoying the fact that there is now a Oscar-winning Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah, that is... Spider-Verse, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well two, two different Marvel movies came away with major awards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, Black Panther got two. Yeah. For costuming and set design, both yeah. of which are very well warranted. Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just sort of glad that the uh, animated feature set did not just sort of default to, oh, there's a Disney film. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, if they did, there were actually there would be an argument for it. I mean, it was The Incredibles too, but I mean, that's that's a Pixar film. <laughs> that's they they're the same company, damn it. They also they also there is also a Disney film that happened. That's, that's right, Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying that technically. The guest game, guest games are Koei Tecmo games. Okay, that's true. Yeah, damn technicalities. The best kind of correct. Um, Okay, yes, I would have had some problems if Wreck It Ralph won. Yes, harsh. But uh, I I haven't seen it yet. It does not look (laughs) as fun as the first one. Yeah, uh, but Spider Verse, very, very good, very well deserved win. Yes. Uh, need to well, I'm still I'm still waiting for it to come out next week in Japan. So let's not talk too much about how great it is. Okay. It has, well, it has... well, you can you can see it next week. I'm sure you'll definitely have spare time. <laughs> yeah, but thing is, I mean, in two weeks we have Captain Marvel coming out as well. So I really need to budget my time properly. Yeah. So what you're saying is you need to see into the Spider Verse. Well, definitely need to see it soon. Um, thing is, I'm not quite sure what my schedule is going to be looking like for um, a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure how much free time I have. Mm. I have to step out. I will be back in a moment. All right. Mm-hmm. In that case, why don't we take a look at the first question? Actual questions, yes. Yes, from Budai. Do you fully expect a new mainline Pokemon before Christmas, or is this pretty much all but confirmed? Um, um, I would say wait until the movie comes out the summer to see what the new promotional material is. If they're going to announce one, then they're going to announce it in combination with the movie. They almost always do. Yeah. I mean, it'll be either be as the movie is released or as part of the promotional material for the movie, the way they did with like Zoroark 
or um, some of the uh, actually did they do it with the uh, Zorark's the one I definitely remember they announced black and white with the movie um do you mean Detective Pikachu, or is there a, a new anime movie coming out at some point? There's there's always a new anime <laughs> yeah, movie coming out. It's, I, gonna, it's going to be in July, probably around July 10th to the 14th, sometime in there, every single year. I'm not sure why I even asked. <laughs> yes. Like oh, because they don't come out in theaters in America anymore, so you kind of lose track. They usually do... It's like one of those one-day events. But yeah, they, uh, it's not a one-day event over here. It is most of the summer. Yeah. They tend to stay around longer in the theater than any other movie any given year. Still? Yeah. Wow. And and the fact that I have seen as many Pokemon movies in the theater as I have seen Ghibli movies in the theater is kind of sad. <laughs> but it's also a bit of a numbers game. Yeah. And the fact that the first three movies in America that was like my birthday present to my little brother who was in junior high at the time, every Thanksgiving I'd come home from college and I would take him to see the next Pokemon movie. Huh. Yeah, that was because I was in school during his birthday, and so, like, one month later, Thanksgiving. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Um. Which is why I still have my ancient Mew Pokemon card. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, but yeah, Budai, they have they have, they said a while ago there would be a new. I'm not sure the exact wording they used, but uh, there will be a Pokemon game this year for sure. Yeah. And going by their usual pattern of mainline, sideline, and, and or bonus content version, and then another mainline, it's probably going to be a major generation release. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. With the Switch uh, as popular as it is, I'm sure they really want to yep. get one. I'm sure that's why they got, they probably pushed uh, the Let's Go games pretty hard. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like 2016, they put out Sun Moon, and then since then they've done Let's Go, which is a remake of Yellow, and then Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, with expansion of the Sun Moon, and Detective Pikachu. Yep. So yeah, they are definitely up for a new generation soon. And we, I mean, they they put out a new Pokemon in Let's Let's Go, and Let's Go Eevee, which seems which would strongly suggest that there is a new gen coming this year. I think. Which Pokemon? Melton. Oh yeah, I thought that one. Sh yeah, I thought that one was like supposed to be the new, uh, like one of the uh, hidden legendaries for Sun and Moon. It's actually completely outside of that? Yes, it's only in uh, Pokemon Go and Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu. And the card game, but okay. Yeah, they it just got... Well, here it just showed up in the card game. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that definitely follows pattern. So yeah, I'd expect Meltan to be somewhat important for the next generation. Yes, which is interesting because it's a very strange design. It's a melting lug nut. Yes. <laughs> kind of cute, but interesting. Yeah. We'll see. A lot, a lot of the rumors, which at this point somebody probably just made up, but the rumor I keep seeing is it's going to be based in England, like in the Pokemon World version of England, obviously. But. Well, I mean, as far as rumors go, that's at least not too outside the realm of possibility. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
but I've not seen I've not seen that rumor come from like a site that I trust. It's mostly just from random Google searching I've come across. So speculation. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, so Okay, so let's see, continuing with Budai. Let us hearken back to the time when Japanese RPGs were often released way later in the West. It still happens a little with, like, say, Dragon Quest XI and Persona 5. Trails fans are still waiting for their games. <laughs> but times are much better than they were, and so many games are simultaneously released. On that note, could you imagine a Persona 6 localization taking as long as Persona 5? Took about six months, I think. September to March-ish. By Maybe. Atlas standards, that is really fast. Yeah. It's The thing that bothered people, I think, is that it was much slower than Shin Megami Tensei 4, which was two months. Yes, but the, yeah. you have to factor in the amount of voice acting. Yeah, I think the voice acting is really what slows it down. Like, SMT4 has voice acting, but it has a, most of its script is not going to be spoken out loud. Whereas... Yes, uh, whereas Persona is very much a... Well, that's uh, that is a lot of text, and everyone has to say it. <laughs> yeah. Plus all of the, the different uh, social links and things like that. Yeah, bearing in mind that there was a lot of dissatisfaction with translation anyway when it was finished, so... If anything, I could almost see Persona 6 taking longer just to try to avoid that. Hmm. And then people will complain that it's taking too long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, part of the issue ends up being that, like, Persona has, uh, because of the internet and the increasing prevalence of, like, the sort of person that will be able to import it, like, there was an issue of spoilers exist for this game, and there's really no way, like, you just have to make sure to avoid the kind of person that would spread them. <laughs> but... Uh... Uh, I don't. I don't think. I, I think that they. It's the only way that they can lower that time is if they just decrease the amount of. If they give increased access to the localizers to the content before it's finished, and I don't think anything about how Atlas is run as a company has signaled their intent to do so, anything of the sort. Well, I mean, there is one other thing that they could do to reduce the amount of time for localization, and that is simply to not have English voice ha acting. That's not going to happen, I don't think. Oh, and I'm sure there would be much wailing and gnashing of teeth from the American fan base for this. I mean, I wouldn't be happy. I mean, the Japanese voice acting is good, but I like the dubs. They're good, so... Oh, man. This does remind me that there's still rumors about what the hell Persona 5R even is. Please be on Switch. Please be on Switch. Please be on Switch. Yeah, there there was some rumors that are not. I can't find good enough sources on that. I'd be willing to repeat them, but there's stuff that further implies it. I'm still wondering why they registered a domain called P5S. <laughs> they keep they keep registering these domain names with random letters at the end. It's like, what could this even be? One, they could be attempting to forestall licensing trolls, and two, they may just be trolling the licensing trolls. Yeah, so some of it is probably just to make it less clear what ones they actually care about. But supposedly, P5R is supposed to have information in March. I guess we'll see. 
Yeah, it is interesting how quickly people got used to the idea of like, oh, a game is just out at the same time in America and Japan. Like, without really got... appreciating the logistical insanity that this is mm-hmm. that involves. Yeah, or even just like so quickly forgetting how how recently that trend came into existence. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the beginning of this decade, like we were at a point where Pokemon, one of these most mainstream RPG brands in the world could take nine months to a year to come out in the US after Japan. (laughs) And that's one with no Uh, voice acting, too. Mm -hmm. I remember Shadow of the Colossus actually came out in America before Japan by about three to four days. Yeah, well, that was a game that had, like, two pages. Very little text to actually (laughs) translate. So, yes. Yeah, it was, was like, two pages of text. It's a very uh, quiet sort of game, but, yeah, like... And and voice acting is all in a fake language to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) If they just included, if the developers just included like the right kinds of fonts, I mean, they probably didn't have to do much. But yeah, uh, oh man, it was just just deeply. It, it's it's weird because like you, there's now this sort of like what class of uh, h- how global does the developer consider this brand at this point? Because you look at something like. Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts, and that'll be out like within days throughout the throughout every place that Square Enix intends to release it. But the very same company, you'll get Dragon Quest, and it's like eh, it's going to take maybe a year, maybe a little longer. We will not yeah. even think about a localized version to any other territory until the Japanese version is already out. It, you can see the same thing in reverse with the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. where the quite often it'll take up to six months for them to get released in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of translation and everything. Mm-hmm. However, a select few, including every of the every one of the actual Avengers movies, like Infinity War, mm-hmm. simultaneous release, and mm-hmm. um, and just because the last two, like um, so um, the, all um, like Ant Man and the Wasp, and now mm-hmm. Captain Marvel will be coming out within a few weeks. Um, Ant-Man and Wasp came out within a week or two of American release, and Captain Marvel's looking to do the same. Hmm. Mm. Specifically because you really need to watch them to get parts of the next uh, uh, Avengers movie, apparently. So, whereas Spider-Verse is waiting for like six months. And that one's the one that Sony controls. That was weird. Yep. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... really shows like prioritization and things like that and it just takes a lot of effort to translate something that fast yeah then the concept of like uh like you know pop culture globalization to some extent but at the same time like you see the tears of like it's very neatly sorted how much how much do they think that this actually appeals to an international audience well that's how quickly they'll get it out and or um, read some of the horror stories from translating Final Fantasy XIII, oh, where man. the translators were having to work with, like, at, um, like two or three times outdated scripts, and they kept getting revisions, and they're like, what are we going to do now? And Yeah, that, that was, I think, Square's first big project in that vein, and it's clear that they... There's a surprising amount of public info. Of, like, they didn't... They were not prepared for what kind of work they were putting themselves into. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, like, that's another thing. I remember there was a, uh, like, when you open up your local 
localization process to let the localizers see the pre-release version of the game, you get those situations where it's like, we spent hours having a debate of how to translate something that got cut from the game anyway. <laughs> like, uh, I remember at the PAX panel about localization with the uh, with a bunch of Sega representatives, they talked about how Valkyria Chronicles 4, they saw a version of the main character that did not make it into the final game. He had a different name, he had a different personality, he had a different like set of interests and like relationship to the core story. And like they spent a while like thinking about how he was going to be localized, and by the time that it, they had to make a decision, he just got he he wasn't in the game anymore. It's really fascinating. Maybe if you're ever interested in the subject, listeners, maybe go look up that PAX panel. I believe it was streamed to Twitch. It should still be in an archive. Mm-hmm. But uh, that sort of situation where I think that's part of the reason that a lot of companies end up sort of reluctant to do this sort of thing is that like it opens up another vector for like internal secrets to get leaked even like even in this official capacity where it's like yes you're allowed to talk about that but it's more like you know you get these things where it's like you get companies that are very secretive like they don't want you to think about the process that created a game they just want you to see the game as a object that exists holistically so mm-hmm. it's just inter- interesting uh, I, I think that that's I, I don't really see that changing for just for logistical reasons for series that aren't perceived as like huge worldwide brands. So, but I mean, like, <laughs> oh man, this reminds me of like the fact that there existed a period where Resident Evil games would have only like a lot of Capcom games did this where they would just like well this character doesn't star this game doesn't star a Japanese person so the voice acting will be in English and like all the voices would be in English and it would still take nine months for it to come out in the US mm-hmm. uh, I think that happened with Devil May Cry as well a lot of games like that those games have quickly become just like every releases everywhere at the same day but they also just have less text. I, I know. I was incredibly shocked that the second Project Cross Zone game got a simultaneous release. That was bizarre. The only reason, like, I feel like I remember them explaining that the reason for that was entirely just, well, for Westerners, it was novel, so they bought it a lot more. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I mean, I'm still shocked that the first game got localized as well. Yeah, because uh, that one took forever. That was one of those ones where people were like, we're never getting this. <laughs> I mean, just one look at it and you would think, this is a quagmire of copyright issues. We're probably never going to see it outside of Japan. Yeah, well, it's also like, it's technically a sequel to Namco X Capcom. I'm not even sure who legally owns the... the I mean, that's uh, the thing. It's, it's technically the fourth game in its series because both of the Endless Frontier games are also semi-sequels to them co-cross Capcom. Yeah, the the Endless Frontier games get away with it because they just only have characters that Namco owns, but... Yeah. Which is how Cosmos ended up in more games than actually in uh, as many um, non-Zeno Xenosaga games as Xenosaga games. Yeah. Uh, Uh, They kept... They actually, like... Just to make that continuity more confusing, uh, Endless Frontier is also in continuity with Super Robot Wars Original Generation. Like, its protagonist has migrated into that franchise. So, 
its primary villain has migrated into that franchise. Yeah. Well, when your character migrates in there, your villain goes with them because that's how Super Robot Wars works. But well, yeah. no, no. The 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 primary villain of the magic of the uh, oh oh I I even played these Lord the Lord of Ele- uh, oh, Lord Maso, of Elemental Masokishi. Yeah, Lord of Elemental. Yes, the primary villain there who also appears in the original generation games. He shows up in Endless Frontier Exceed with amnesia. Oh, oh I know who this and is. He, yeah. he and he and his strange blue-haired, probably non-human, platonic whatever from original generation is there with him, and they fight as a single unit. That makes sense to me. In a way that is very similar to how the uh, Project Cross Zone characters operate. So. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, there's a, there's a few characters you might even be referring to, because I know a few different SRW characters have found their way into Endless Frontier Seed. Do you remember no, the is, name at all? This is the main bad guy from Masochiji. Yeah. The main bad guy. Like, yes. So it's not it's not Shushirakawa? It is Shu. Okay, it's Shushirakawa, I was thinking. Yeah, except he went by a different name for half of that game until he... he didn't know who he was. <laughs> oh, no, no. In Exceed, yeah, he went by Shu. I mean, talk, I'm talking about Lord of Elemental. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Actually, I think he introduced himself to Shu Shirakawa in Lord of Elemental, and he turned out to be someone else. <laughs> because when we were introduced to him, he, it was in the skies of Tokyo, and then went back down into the inner world and where he was actually from. So, yeah... Speaking of which, I have never actually played the original generation game, so there's a humongous plot gap in the middle of Masokishin that I never could figure out. Yeah, because there is literally a, like, in one chapter, it suddenly jumps between we just nuked a city to one year later, and the entire one year later includes the entire original generation series. I think up through, like, second OG, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? I don't understand. You should have just ended the game two chapters ago. I think that might actually be where the SNES game that it's technically a remake of does end. I would not be surprised if it did. And yeah, I've, it would I've never be a played. Better experience if it had. Yeah, I've never played Super Robot Wars EX, so I can't speak for it. But yeah, uh... but I, I love the level of like continuity nonsense that like they sort of tango through to try to get like well this part we own so we'll tangle it into the other things that we own and we'll just like paper over anything that requires us to reference things we don't own (laughs) and i i I kind of very specific thing with continuity yeah and the secret to super robot wars continuity is simply we don't care there's like a million of them, and some of them do care a lot about continuity, but then sometimes you'll get... One of my favorite things that happened is that Super Robot Wars Alpha has a big spot in its plot dedicated to the plot of Giant Robo the Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm-hmm. And then between Alpha 1 and 2, the guy who made uh, Giant Ro- the guy who made Giant Robo and thus all of the characters... Uh, I believe his name is Mitsuteru Yokoyama. But Yokoyama mm-hmm. passed away, and thus, instead of negotiating for rights with him 
for like the million different Yokoyama manga that are in D- Giant Robo the Day the Earth Stood Still, they were now de- negotiating with his estate, and his estate wanted a lot more money. <laughs> and suddenly, Giant Robo the Day the Earth Stood Still was not in Super Robot Wars Alpha 2 or 3 because it was too expensive. Uh, licensing is a nightmare. Yes, it is. Yay, licensing. It's a shame. Giant Robo the Day the Earth Stood Still is a very fun, ridiculous OVA. Very pretty. I recommend it. They all are kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of a requirement of this of the entire genre. Yeah. It's weird that, like... In if you said direct-to-video animation in the West, you would get like this idea of the cheapest, worst thing that could not find its way into theaters or on TV. But at least, like especially in the '80s and '90s, like OVA was like, oh, this is something that's very high budget and that the creator has a lot of control over for some reason. <laughs> Partly because it wasn't getting a cinematic release, and they knew that it was going to be marketed directly to the fan base they probably knew exactly how many copies they would pro- they would be able to sell mm-hmm. and the japanese prices for media is usually like five times more than what it would cost in america for retail yeah. so and you were um, buying like oh, okay. i mean it's like idea factory and compile hardware whenever they make a game they calculate almost to the tens spot how many copies they will probably sell in the first mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. and and they are very good at this calculation, and that's why they managed to make so many games, because they know how to budget it properly. Yeah. It was also just this weird situation where it's like, Giant Robo The Day the Earth Stood Still is a seven-episode OVA, and it was released across seven years, one half-hour episode per year. So. And each one was probably 40 bucks per VHS tape. Oh, I would, I would estimate probably closer to 60 at the very least, but... Well, I mean that de- it depends on which if year you're it was. Well. No, I'm thinking like four to five thousand yen per VHS tape was pretty common, mm. um, possibly a bit more. But depending on which year of the '80s we're talking about, this may have been before or after the yen was um, oh, was yeah. deregulated. At which point it went from like three hundred something yen fixed to the dollar to less than a hundred yen to the dollar. Mm-hmm. Which means that the actual dollar price. By comparison, would have been incredibly different, yeah. even if the actual yen price did not change, which it often did not. Mm-hmm. This would have been giant rubber. The day the Earth stood still was mostly in the nineties, so it was probably mostly after that deregulation. Yeah. Mostly in the nineties. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Can I be heard? I can hear you. Okay. Gaijin, can you hear me? I don't think he can hear either of us. Yeah, I think he might have disappeared on, over the horizon. Okay. Hello, hello. Let's put a message in the chat. Okay. I can't believe I I killed the podcast with me discussing rambling about OVAs. Can you hear me now? Good. I'm glad that that advertisement will never leave the public consciousness. Ugh. I'm forcibly reminded of like an old uh, dinosaur comics where T-Rex is just complaining that they changed the name of a serial that he could not get out of his head. Like the, uh, it was it was 
can't get enough of that sugar crisp and then finding out that it was not sugar crisp anymore because they didn't want that association. He's like, you drilled this into my head and then you changed your name. They don't call it sugar crisp anymore? I believe it's golden crisp now. Oh, God, why would they do that? <laughs> Hello, apparently my Skype just crashed for the last 30 seconds. So oh. Oh, we were we were filling time until you got back. We're talking about <laughs> su- sugar crisp, sugar crisp. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. Uh, oh, the cereal that you don't get in Japan because it doesn't pass the health standards. Yeah, um, sounds, probably sounds about right. But also, they changed its name to Golden Crisp to escape the fact that they were called Sugar Crisp and that terrified people. Uh, but <laughs> never mind. This is dumb. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I was saying that it was mostly the giant robot was mostly in the '90s, so it would have been after that deregulation. Mm-hmm. The uh, the OVA, not the manga. The manga's like the '60s. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I guess we should move on to the next question. Uh, which handheld exclusive game, or uh, one that ex- originated on a handheld, has the best story? Alliance Alive. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> well, it does have a good story. Let's see, one that let's see, handheld exclusive game. Yeah, let me think. Or at least one that started there. Uh... Yeah, I mean, uh, see, Nino Kuni. Hmm. Oh, well, yeah, that is that is an originated there. Did uh... and has, and the DS version has a probably a better constructed storyline than the PS3 version. I believe it has, much, it has a much stronger third act, and it doesn't bother with the all the final game stuff that kind of made the PS3 version weird. Um, what else? Did Trails of Cold Steel come out on, on Vita first, or was was it always Vita? I think it was a simultaneous release. Okay. I have no idea, but you tell. <laughs> it would also be like, do you count it as its own story from there, or do you count it all the way back to Trails in the Sky, which was not, definitely not a portable game originally uh i think the crossbell games might have technically been psp native it's so hard to tell um, it's hard it's weird what falcom never re-releases anything okay, multiple Zero times no and multiple platforms zero no kiseki and Aono no kiseki are both psp or vita exclusive but those are both also connected to the in larger series yeah, if we're not, if we're saying that it has to have originated, like, be a completely disconnected story, then those don't count either. <laughs> I mean, because if we're talking about the best story, then we have to consider the entire story available. To be fair, the the Crossbell games are telling their own story. It's just a story that every, that ties back to a meta narrative. Yeah. Um, Edge case. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly nothing before the DS period. There, there typically just wasn't much story there to begin yeah. with. Uh, yeah. Um, Radiant Historia, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, good one. Uh, sh- some, something from the Department Heaven series? I've never played those. Knights, Knights in the Nightmare? Or Riviera. Yeah. I mean, Riviera started off as a Wonderswan color game. <laughs> then GBA, then... Uh, color. Uh... <laughs> It's the only time I've played it. Um, what else? I think they um, PHP eventually as well. They made a lot of those ports. Four. That's a good game, but I wouldn't say it's particularly 
more compelling narrative than any of the things we've listed so far. No, not really, no. Uh, uh, well, um, t- Tactics Ogre, Knight of Lotus. I mean, that does still oh, connect back to the rest, but not as strongly as some. Yeah, I mean, you have to get a specific ending to see how it connects back, so... Yeah. Um, I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. That's that's a really good one. An underrated yeah. narrative. Highly underrated, because people poo-pooed it so much that it wasn't an exact clone of the PS1 game. Also, like, and, and oh, to, man. Yeah, to this, be fair, that Landmake system was kind of annoying. Yeah, but this the story did its own thing, and it was really Yeah, I think if we're talking specifically the about the narrative, people were very upset at the narrative yeah. itself. So. But the narrative Which, was, was really good. It, it, it made some really good points. Yeah. I would like to... I think that we're all on record as enjoying the narrative of tactics events. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I really should go back and play that again. I mean, right now, I'm, right now I've gotten back to Darkest Dungeon just for the hell of it. Pun, pun not intended, but you know what? Sure, why not? The hell of it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Darkest Dungeon's basically hell. <laughs> yeah. Either that or it's like somebody's vision of creepypasta the RPG. Mm, yeah, blood was everywhere. Um, <laughs> but Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, anything else that jumps out. Oh, well, that's with you. There you go. Oh, yeah, there's a good one. Yeah, that game's got a great narrative. Uh, and that's basically only ever existed on portable-ish systems. Yeah, like, the the only thing at the time it's ever been on a thing that interacts with your TV is the Switch version. Yeah. And even then, it's not the not a great way to play it. So yeah, you really should be playing mode. that in handheld mode. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that's, that's, I think, a really good narrative that makes good on a lot of narrative hooks that console RPGs often attempted and rarely succeeded with, so. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's probably my personal answer, just because I'm very fond of World Ends With You. I think we've listed a good... A good cross-section of games that did ambitious things with narrative on handheld. Yeah, I'm just trying yes. to think if there's anything else we could have missed. I feel like it would be a lot be like us combing through the DS era for RPGs. Pretty uh, much. Well, this would be more on the comedy side, but uh, Mario and Luigi, the original. Yeah, sure. I would say that one's that's very well written. Yeah. The specific thing has was has the best story, which you know fairly simple story but like it's a well written RPG or better yet a well localized RPG because hmm. oh, that is a very important point is how good were the translators and localizers in making it sound better hmm. yeah uh, I feel like someone will probably complain if we like this is cusp RPG but I mean someone's going to bring up Link's Awakening yes which it had a really good plot for its series. Yeah. I mean, it knew its strengths, it played to its strengths, and it went, it did things that were the first of its series to be done. Yeah. So, it also I, I wouldn't call it the of... best, I wouldn't call it the best story, but it was probably one of the best ones available on the Game Boy original, by a long shot. And Especially that, makes, that ending. Yeah. It makes good use of its hardware as well, which yeah. is... Like yeah. Game Boy games all looked a little weird, and so 
that was a game that used the fact that it was going to look a little weird no matter what they did. Yes. It's an incredibly well-crafted game that was never actually intended to exist in the first place. <laughs> and that, that, I still think that's one of the most interesting stories out of game development history right there. And, um, and it's, oddly enough, like literally a seminal work in its own series. Mm-hmm. More, just... so, more so than Link to the Past in many ways. <laughs> uh, Link to the Past set the tone of what uh, the gameplay of Zelda would be. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, for the gameplay, yes, but Link's Awakening helped set the tone of what the stories could be like. Mm. Yeah. And notably, the uh, face of Nintendo nowadays, uh, nowadays, like, he's the one, the guy you will usually see in a Nintendo Direct, Yoshiaki Koizumi, is, uh, was credited as scriptwriter, story, event design. Hmm. So, was was he the guy who just decided to um, take the base of a game that he had just made for Game Boy and try to port Link to the Past to the Game Boy, and that's the project that ended up accidentally becoming Link's Awakening? I'm not sure if he was the guy who like did the technical test that would have spawned that. It doesn't look like it because all of his credits seem to be fill out what's there into like a story that has a narrative with a beginning and ending. Yeah. So, so let, let's see. You know what? Wikipedia. Okay. Developed. It just says developed after hours by Nintendo staff. <laughs> Important. Um, I mean, uh, if you want, like, half the reason for why it's so loved by fans, it's probably because it came from. It's like the closest thing Nintendo's ever had to an indie title. Mm hmm. Yeah. Let's see, looking at English Wikipedia, it says he was t- again tasked with designing the manual of Link's Awakening. However, since the work on the game had just begun, Koizumi wound up creating its entire story and came up with plot ideas such as the island uh, in a dream. So it seems like after they had decided internally that it was going to exist as a Zelda game, he filled it out into being what it was. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. He's the one that you can blame for having an alligator that sells you bananas. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the other things that they did really well is they actually had some fun with NPC interactions. There's a lot of very strange NPCs in Link's Awakening. A lot, you don't... Came, a lot of them came from the earlier game, the tale of Frog and... Um, for Frog Stank. the Bell Tolls. Yeah, for, for Frog the Bell Tolls, yeah. I mean, if you... If you're in the grandpa's house and you pick up the phone and you accidentally call the bu- um, the bucket mouse, that was mm. a character from that from the earlier game. Mm. Yeah, uh, that um, that Lord guy who wants all the golden leaves. That's a character from the previous game. Oh yeah, Richard. Yeah, Richard. But yeah, that's that's the other thing is that like in America we see this game and we see oh there's a Kirby enemy oh there's Goombas oh there's like these random like obvious Mario and Kirby illusions and we don't get the the actual full joke, which is that everyone's from something else. <laughs> yes. Or that there would there was no way that that would have actually gotten greenlit if they hadn't already included these characters in the original uh, After Hours project. Yeah. It's because those... I, I think they actually had rules against cross, um, cross-brand um, contamination at the time or something like that. Yeah, the, I think at the time they wanted to make it very clear that like these were distinct uh, brands with, that did different things. So part of the way to do that was to make sure they weren't constantly referencing each other. 
But since this was an after-hours gig by people who were just having fun and often were working on Kirby and Mario and other games at the same time. Yeah, you just sort yeah. of get Which is well. Toad from Super Mario Bros. 2 as an NPC. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot of strange... As an Elvis impersonating NPC. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, man. That's so incredibly 90s. Like, that joke... What's going to happen to that joke in the English in in this 2019 remake? Hmm. Hopefully, they will change absolutely nothing about <laughs> it's, the gameplay itself. Yeah, it's one of those things that's interesting to me by virtue of the fact that, like, oh, an Elvis impersonator, no child born in the last 18 years will know will have any context for why that was really funny in 1992. <laughs> but still, they might know the line. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, and it's not like they actually focused on the Elvis impersonation but is just the way the character was he was a this weird kind of rock and roll dude yeah it's just one of those things that's funny to me because it's like oh I, I see like I was at the tail end of this reference having a meaning and now it's gone <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that Mr. Wright was a reference to Sim City yeah he's he's Mr. Wright from the the SNES Sim City Dr. Wright yes. I guess Mr. Wright actually kept showing up because I think he's also in the Oracle games. Yes, he is, actually. Um, yeah, and, like, there's a couple major NPCs that show up randomly across the series who got their start in that game, too. Yeah. Not to mention the Owl. Yep. Before Kapora Gabora and, uh, frickin' Ocarina of Time. That's where that yep. sort of comes from. Yep. What a crazy game. As long as they allow me to put bows in one button and bombs in the other bo button and allow me to shoot exploding arrows, I will be happy. <laughs> I expect that they'll, let you, they'll keep doing that because so much of the game's puzzle... It seems like the game is very similar to its original incarnation. Yeah. And so many of the game's puzzles relied on, like, item comboing. They'll probably just make it easier to do it. Yeah, it's probably... Comboing. What I would suspect is that your item buttons will not take up your shield and sword buttons. Yeah. Which is yeah. fine by me. Yeah. I know, I liked that aspect because it allowed some interesting creativity in what you had equipped at any given time. That's true. It was uh, interesting to see Link without, like, barehanded. That was not really something you saw that often, so... Yeah. And, uh, or just, like, the, the boots and the feather combo... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll stay. It's just you won't necessarily have to unequip your sword and shield to do it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it felt like there was a need to bring that game up because people would have been a little confused as to why I didn't bring that up for game handheld games with impressive stories. Mm -hmm. Let's see, another Budai question. Have you noticed in most entertainment industries, like, say, music, movie, and movies and books, they're more transparent that something is being made. The first trailer isn't uh, what confirms its existence. But for video games, other than leaks, developers usually uh, use first trailers as a surprise. I think so, that that's I think as much... We've kind of touched on this already, because we're talking about the translation efforts mm -hmm. and translators getting stuff so far in advance of the release that the character doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, but I think there's there's also just the other part of it, which is that companies in video games don't like to acknowledge something has is being worked on until they're reasonably sure it'll come out. 
Yeah, that is a major thing, and I mean, between that and the fact that so many things can change between the initial announcement, even, and the final release. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'll get movies that, like, oh, that's been officially in the works for 20 years and has had no real progress on it because no one actually cares that much. It's just a difference of how they're put together. So, like, you get a lot more of those high-profile cancellations or, like, a lot more of those, well, this just never went anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those things. It's interesting, actually, because it it makes those those situations where something did get announced, did get shown, and then went away even stranger. Or worse, something like Final Fantasy Versus, where they announced it before they actually had any work done on it, and then they really regretted this down the line. Yeah, like Versus 13, they just announced it, and then it's like, oh, actually, no one's going to be working on this for quite a long time. Whoops. Yeah. But I'm uh, also thinking, like, um, from the Atelier series, Atelier Lease, the first mm-hmm. DS game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, when I reviewed it, and I took a look at the screenshots we had for it, I realized that the initial screenshots that they gave out for promotional reasons had absolutely nothing to do with the final game. (laughs) I mean, they are not... I mean, they are recognizable as probably a part of the same series, but they do not look like the same game. They probably just started over at some point in development. Completely over. I had to... I had to locate a whole different set of screenshots for that game just for the review because I couldn't use the ones that we had. Yeah. But I will note that what was originally provided for that game looks a lot like what ended up coming out as um, Nora and the Time um, Workshop, which was the Gust um, Atlas collaboration game. It was one of the last ones for the DS. Interesting. Very similar look there. Well, we got this concept art. We might as well try to make something of it. No, I mean, not concept art, mechanics. Oh, wow. Um, It looks to me like um, I, mean, I know Lee's got seriously delayed at one point. I'm thinking it's simply because the the side group that was doing the game, it wasn't the main programming group, that they must have hit some massive programming issue that caused them to have to rebuild from scratch. Mm-hmm. And that they probably took a lot of the material from the original build of that game and found a way of fixing it later. Mm-hmm and use that as part of the collaborative game later. Mm-hmm. So. And I mean, like, that, that is the issue when you announce something too early, is that if you... It's one of the reasons that, like, you'll also get, like, the PR flack that only, like, they can't tell you about features that they don't have some sort of guarantee from higher up, like, this will actually be in the game, because you announce something and then it's not actually in there. And it's like you get a lot, you get questions until the end of time of like, where did this go and why isn't it in there? Unless the guy in charge of the project is the one who's handling the publicity, in which case you have a Molly New effect. Yeah, basically. Or it's which like, is well, another. I, I believe this will happen. <laughs> it's an excellent yeah. reason not to do that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Not unless they're super disciplined, but yeah, it's. It's interesting, like, I I think that honestly, those outliers that do announce something way, way, way too early are generally, like, generally get bitten a lot by that, because, like, you end up with these, like, all of these different ideas sort of are allowed to filter out into the wider world, because it's just like, well, you know, 
here's what's here's what it looks like right now. <laughs> yep. And it's basically it's asking for trouble. Yeah. So, it, you know, I mean, like, if a movie goes smoothly, it, like, if the same principal actors and writers and directors are all working on it, like, the filming of a movie takes usually a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it might have gone through, like, a million rewrites, and that'll be obvious, but it, it's harder for it to fundamentally change once stuff is committed to celluloid, basically. Unless you're Iron Man and it's basically the world's most expensive student film. Yeah, yeah, that'll happen, but rarely. <laughs> yeah, and it tur- sometimes it turns out pretty well for that. Yeah, yeah, so. gives you a lot of a lot of personality, but yeah, the whereas with games like the the way that that collaborative process works, it's like it's that level of like people are constantly changing this over years and years and years, so. Even if there is no hard development reboot, which a lot of things ultimately end up like, well, we got to toss out this, that, 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 like, mm-hmm. and you know, you get those ones where like they did announce too early, and you can see every single version of it. I've used this example before, Resident Evil Four. There's t- three different public versions of that that are very obviously not the game they made. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. So that's, uh, I feel like that's, if anything, we're going to get further and further away from that. Because you also get, like, other situations where, like, you sh- don't show something until it's nearly out when it actually looks like it's going to look like. And people are just really excited to see it and realize they'll be able to play it even, you know, relatively soon, like within a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're an indie developer who is actively looking for some investment, like uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Mm-hmm. And even then, they had a, almost the entire basic appearance down. Yeah, because for, for the first three levels only, yeah. no boss. When I played it the first time, but still, you could tell exactly what it was going to look like. The uh, the vertical slice of that game was very strong. So yeah, and they needed they made those first three levels look as good as they could with what they had, just to make sure that they could get enough support to finish it. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's yeah, a, so indie indie developers I can see re- um, announcing and releasing a lot earlier than others simply because that's the only way they will finish it. Yeah, well, indie devs you'll also get the opposite effect where like since they don't have anyone to answer to, it's like oh here's Owlboy. It took me ten years. I made it by myself. <laughs> Cave Story. Yep. Yep. Oh, Toho. Oh heavens, yes. <laughs> the, the granddaddy of them all. Yes. And anyway, I need to get going soon. Okay. Um, thankfully, I don't actually have to do anything in the post-lunch period at school today, or else I should have been gone 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have a slightly extended uh, amount of you. So. Yeah. <laughs> have a good week. You too. Yep. Catch get... you next week, sir. Yeah. See you. All right, what have we got left for questions? Uh, a couple from Budai. What is the most you've ever paid for a game? Wheels, I feel like I might have the granddaddy on this one, but I'd like to hear it. Uh, oh, dang, I'd really like to answer this one, too. Uh, uh, I'll be getting we'll... ready in the background. Just keep talking. Okay. okay. Uh, Wheels, what's yours? Oh, it's got to be the Final Fantasy XV Special Edition. 
That one was like 250, I think. Yeah, I think that was the final tally, yeah. Mine sits around that thing. It was the Ace Attorney 4 Japanese Limited Edition that I picked up back in the day. That was... I had to have that because it was a resource of all of the art and music in the first three games on a DS cartridge, which was very strange to me. Wow. Um, I've, I mean, I've gone up to 70 or 80 bucks at a time on a special edition once or twice. Mm. Um, the top one for that would have been um, the second Kuzunoha Raido Devil Summoner game for PS2. Oh, nice. Because it came bundled with the Maniacs edition of um, Shin Megami Tensei 3. Oh, yeah, Maniacs Chronicles, the one where they replaced Dante with Raido. Yes. Which I really should go about and actually finish that sometime. Um, 12 years later. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, that's technically paying a lot of money for two games there. Yeah. Um, the most I ever paid for second hand would have been um, Moon RPG Remix Adventure at 60 something dollars. Yeah, the, those games that actually manage to appreciate in value tend to sting after a while. Yeah. I mean, I could try and get the second Metabots game for Game Boy Advance over here, but it would probably set me back 130 <laughs> Maybe a little less. It really depends on the exchange rate and any given time. Um, a lot. It'll set you back a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, hasta la vista. See you next week. See ya. Au revoir. Yeah. Au revoir. But yeah, I remember like that. I had to have that Yakuten Saibon for uh, limited edition. It was my my fandom was all consuming at that point, like two thousand seven, eight. I can't remember when. But it was just one of those things where it's like, no, no, you don't understand. I have to have this. <laughs> and I mean that is still one of if not my favorite games in the series like I think 6 might be better but uh, what a game what a what a strange daffy little game I learned oh I need to tell you about this bit of Ace Attorney trivia I recently learned about which is that they had a bunch of considered names for the first one before it came out and all of them are insane <laughs> So my per the the most ridiculous one is Boogie Woogie Innocence. Huh. Don't know what they were going for with that. Uh, there was Survivon, which was a combination of survival and courtroom in Japanese. <laughs> huh. Uh, there was Bingo Bango, which is apparently a pun on like bingo, like you got it right, and bango as in like a Japanese word meaning some form of like legal defense. Uh, there was also apparently at least one build of the game where Phoenix had a pet hamster, or in one very strange suggestion that never got past a suggestion room, Phoenix was a hamster. <laughs> and of course, there was uh, the initial build, which made honestly a lot more sense where Phoenix was just a private investigator but they realized hmm private investigators don't go to courtrooms <laughs> <laughs> and it was more fun to have your private your character like uh, it was more fun to have your character pointing out where like someone was lying and that didn't mean as much when you were just talking to them one on one so they moved it into the courtroom and 
like their way their initial way of moving it into the courtroom was like oh well he's he's a private investigator who goes to his office and see, finds a dead body there and then is arrested but his legal aid is his legal defense is incompetent so he has to defend himself like that's how we'll get him into the courtroom and eventually it was just like well yeah but that means we only he can only be in the courtroom for one scenario <laughs> let's just make him a lawyer so yeah I, I care a lot about ace attorney ask me about ace attorney <laughs> uh, and one last would I question what was the first game you bought with your own money I think it might ironically have been like Link's Awakening DX uh, I don't know um. it's, it's been a while I'm sure for all of us yeah I mean it's like uh, I guess the question is like money you earned like at a job, money you got allowance, like gift cards. With what? what Let's go with the here? one that's most interesting to you. Oh, then I'll go the time I got the Final Fantasy five and six collection by trading in my copy of Final Fantasy six for SNES. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry too. Was... Oh, that also one of those appreciated in value. The other was bad from the day it came out. <laughs> And brought that home and was like, wow, this is a lot slower than the copy I just I traded in. I remember this being a pretty fast game. Wow, the translation of 5 is way worse than that ROM I was playing. Oh, you were what already playing happened? the... Oh, you got owned. You were yeah. already playing the fan translation. Yeah. On the other side, that one didn't have Y burns. So yes, more of the story, I got mega-owned. Yeah, that's, that's rough, buddy. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, my copy of Link's Awakening, I got to... Uh, I hit one of the game-destroying bugs that happens uh, in, I want to say, the seventh dungeon. And uh, then the battery uh, was destroyed by accidentally getting turned on and off too quickly. Oof. So, uh, like, anytime someone asks, like, why don't you like Link's Awakening that much? And it's like, eh, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. <laughs> Because my first cartridge had gotten lost and also broke on a different game-breaking bug that doesn't exist in the DX version. <laughs> do you wanna I know? ran into everything that you can do wrong. In do you want to hear the story about how my original Game Boy had, like, two black lines across the screen? Oh, boy. Good old brick Game Boy. No, yeah, it worked fine. I no, no, I'm saying, like, the, the brick oh, yes, side. Oh, yes, yes. So... Like, you could... It's basically like having a line-sized dead pixel. So I brought that damn thing, like, everywhere. So, yeah. like, everywhere. Spe specifically playing Final Fantasy Legend. Uh, but this one time, we were, like, driving around, like, some wildlife preserve in Delaware. And um, I think we were, like, specifically looking for, like, bald eagles. Because I guess there were supposedly some there. And, you know... Somebody saw one, we stopped the car, and everybody was getting out. And in the hurry of doing so, my dropped my Game Boy on the floor. So when we went back into the car, it had, like, a black line across the bottom of the screen. That did not, like, did not go away. And it was kind of like that until I eventually replaced it with the Game Boy Color. I had a pocket, God, I want to say. Goddamn bald eagles. Wow. Uh, I had a pocket... 
there's my first Game Boy, and you know those were nice. I mean, I accidentally dropped it and it broke, but Nintendo replaced it real quick. So, <laughs> still like uh, I think people forget how much of an upgrade the Game Boy Pocket actually was. Yeah. Both for being much, much smaller, which is nice, but also just like, oh, the screen is still ghosty because it's like a LCD screen in 1990, but, I mean, it's not a passive Matrix screen anymore. <laughs> I just remember going from the original Game Boy just to the Game Boy Color with, like, this amazing upgrade. Yeah. Don't... Don't do... Freaking... Uh... Like, <laughs> everything about passive matrix technology, don't do that on something that has to change its the screen state consistently. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, we'll just update the parts of the screen that changed. What is ghosting? And passive matrix, what a, what a heady time the early 90s were. Good times, good times. By which I mean, not so good times. Not so good times. It was a good way to save battery life at the time. I, yeah. Like, you you noticed it on the Game Boy, but you accepted it because you got to play Mario when, you, when your mom drove you to football practice or whatever. Yeah, and you didn't have to use uh, six AA batteries that had to be yeah. replaced every few hours. Oh my god. I knew someone with a Game Gear and it was just like every couple hours. It's just like, nope, they're all gone. <laughs> I had a uh, like AC adapter for the Game Gear and yeah, I knew why that was my the only way to play it. Knew why my parents got it for me cuz they certainly weren't going to keep buying new batteries. Yeah, no, that kid had a that hit it. That kid absolutely had a wall adapter as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I remembered Game Gear Sonic 2 and it being impossibly hard. I don't even understand how that game was so hard. Not uh, sure if you've ever played it, Will. Oh, but... I am well acquainted. <laughs> okay, so, so we can commiserate a little bit on uh, how ridiculous that game is. I don't know what was going on with that game. I, it's, I just... It's a mean game. Why would they do that to me? Why? And the best part is that if you manage to beat it, but you didn't find all the Chaos Emeralds, which are very well hidden, there's no bonus stages in that one, they're just hidden in the level, you better yeah. find them. It implies the tails died. <laughs> oh yes. Ah, you remember this as well. Yes. You get to that ending, and it's like, oh, Sonic's alone, and tails is in the sky, but not flying. No, it's just his face over the moon. What happened here? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only <laughs> ending I ever got legit. It's so it is so hard to find. Like a lot of them require like one shot pixel perfect jumps. Ugh. Uh, what a game. What a very strange game. Yep. I had I remember having a lot more fun with Sonic Triple Trouble. Yeah. I guess some people would say it wasn't as good. I say they're wrong. Wait, are there people that claim that Sonic 2 was better than Sonic Triple Trouble? Probably. Don't fight. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, how's Sea of Thieves treating you? <laughs> Uh, Is this an RPG? <laughs> yeah, eh, not really. 
I thought I'd ask before we go too far into a tangent. That yes. Way. Well, here's a random tangent, but about RPGs. So I was listening to some podcast recently, which was about romances and games, which obviously was heavily... A lot of RPGs in that. Heavily, discussion. right, but heavily Bioware-focused. So I've got the Bioware itch now. So I think I'm going to finally oh. polish off uh, Dragon Age 2. Oh, I really... That's actually the, my favorite Dragon Age game. Nice. <laughs> Uh, I think the last one I I finished the first one on PC, uh, yeah, which was a mistake because it's actually better in console. Why? <laughs> I I will fight people about that too, Cause, yeah, I'm curious. Because it I don't it doesn't have the strategic depth that a game like Baldur's Gate does. So the but ben- it's trying to pretend that it does. Right. So it's it pretends that it does, but it doesn't. So. And the PC version is specifically harder because you get that like yeah you, you can't turn off friendly fire in that one I don't think and it just it just doesn't work as well. I remember the the one thing that I would say I would de- like if I was going to ever replay the game I would absolutely replay it on PC specifically so that I could skip the fade section. <laughs> uh yeah. Because that section, you have to play optimally, and it makes sense to play it immediately, but also it's super boring and long. Yeah, there's there's a lot wrong with the first Dragon Age. I think I, I don't feel like they ever really found their footing on what to do with Dragon Age, because, yeah. like, one, they want to make Baldur's Gate, but it's full of just, like, this section's not that interesting, cut this out, this doesn't work. Yeah, it's just, this is always the thing that I argued with some people about with Mass Effect 2. Like, some people lamented, like, oh, there isn't as much exploration and stuff, but it's like, this... Mass Effect 2 focuses on what worked with the first game. Story, conversations, excellent. And And that's sort of what Dragon Age 2 is trying to do as well, but because people had different expectations for what Dragon Age was going to be, they felt much more betrayed by it. Right. But, uh, but, I mean, Bioware's... The current Bioware's, I think, strength is like the writing and the characters and not everything needs to be this massive open world do all these crazy things I think that's really what hurts Inquisition is that it's full of that yeah that's what I mean I barely played any of it and I think that was kind of the reason it's just like I I don't really know where to go or what to do and I don't really want to do this (laughs) I played like I played like 15 hours of it and that counts as barely playing any of it there's so much there but it's so there's so much chaff versus like the wheat to chaff like signal to noise ratio is so so high in that game there's so much that's just like this isn't what this is good at and it's wasting my time yeah and again i go back to mass effect 2 even to some extent 3 you know we like 3 i think is good right up until it's ending which just sort of I think that's sometimes this, that gets lost, lost is how good all the all the uh, actually how good three is other than the ending. Yeah, like I mean, if you just do like the like the Tuchanka and Rannoch, uh sections are great, like capstones to series spanning storylines. Right. And one thing I like about three is that it does reintroduce some of the RPG elements, but it reintroduces them in a way that fits the strengths of the game so that you're right. not constantly grognarding at them. Right, and I think that's what that's you know, what they should have done. Like just add more RPG elements in terms of combat, but keep everything focused and story focused and not so much like here's a random planet you can wander around and there's nothing here. 
Like I, I think one of my. Oh god. Like I, this is great. You, there were more places to explore in Mass Effect One, but they all sucked. They're all <laughs> the same pointless. level. Like yes. there, are, there are about three total, like quote unquote, random planets you can land on. Uh, the other thing I was gonna say was like two really, really got taken to task for like it has like six maps. It's terrible. The thing is, the what I think so. What, up to that point, there had reached, like, there was the Bioware story formula of, like, this is what happens. Like, you get inducted into this, like, society that has to save things and blah, 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 blah. And, like, they that was kind of how they did. Like, that was how their stories worked. And two deliberately eschews that in a way that I think is actually really interesting. But, you know, like, I, I think the interesting narrative choices that it was making about, like, following a handful of characters and a city as it sort of descends into the con- into a conflict over a period of years was a really interesting idea. Yeah. And I think it's a, a shame that they didn't do something more interesting like that because they sort of went back to, well, uh, like Inquisition kind of backtracks to like, oh, you're the chosen hero because you've got a big magic open palm sore um, <laughs> and you need to wander around and do tasks for a set uh, like one of like three or four groups that are represented by one or uh, four new areas mm. but I, I think two is really interesting because it has that space for like characters like oh this whatever's been happening is something that's been brewing for years in story because each of the acts gets separated by like two or three years. So it's interesting. I I still really like to. Well, I will report back to you once I start playing with that. Yeah. I think uh, it's also it's also a much leaner game than one. One is like fifty hours compulsory, whereas two is like twenty five hours. Yeah, I could not play one again at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I've tried it occasionally. I can go back and play Kotor. Yeah, well, I mean that's easy. Enough. I still, I still love Kotor. I think I still think Kotor is like their two tour de force. That 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 to me is like sort of still the platonic ideal of what Bioware is. Like, if you ask me to think of a Bioware game, my brain ultimately will slide back onto Kotor. Yep. Love me some Kotor, and now I want to play Kotor. Damn you! <laughs> it's really good though. Yeah. I, the only thing is I can't play it on PC because I'm so bad with keyboard and mouse controls and the PC version has no non-keyboard controls. They patched controller they patched like gamepad controls into two but not one. Uh, I, I'm, oh, gonna, be... I'm just going to play it on my Xbox. My X-Bone. Oh, I think it is actually compatible. It oh, is. My, my TV it works. Is. Put <laughs> Okay, here's my my traditional rallying cry. Put it on Switch, coward. Yes, please. There's already they, tab- there's already tablet it the version. It probably already has controller support in the tablet version. It does. I can tell you that it does, buddy, because I have played or... that version with a phone controller, and it oh plays exactly like the Xbox version. <laughs> Wait, weren't they? Didn't, did somebody? Was it you that told me they're going to bring like Baldur's Gate or something to? Yeah, Switch? like it's. There's like in, essentially an Infinity Engine collection coming. Oh to my Switch. god, this can happen. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. I, I feel it. Feel it in my bones. 
Okay, let me double check this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> the Beam Dog Beam Blog. Oh, it's Beam Dog specifically. Well, yeah, I mean, because they, they are essentially where a bunch of X Bioware people went, and they are the ones that did this. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, let's see if I can find the actual... Beamdog partners with Skybound Games to bring our D&D classics to consoles. We're thrilled to announce Beamdog's new partnership with Skybound, publisher behind Slime Rancher, The Long Dark... Uh, Teamed up with Skybound to bring our D&D enhanced editions to consoles for the first time ever... Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear, Icewind Dale, Planescape Torment, and Neverwinter Nights will all be coming to retail and digital stores later this year. Interesting. I will play them, I will play Baldur's Gate 1 in narrative mode so that I don't have to worry about how painfully mean D&D 2nd Edition is. Wait, did you say retail? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I figured you'd be into that. They'll probably be packaging several games together mm. in a package for retail. Yes, uh, Baldur's Gate 2 is definitely a game I want to go back and play because it is fantastic and had some of the best voice acting of the time like you will ever hear. Like the, well, uh, will you be playing Siege of Dragonspear? Probably. But like the... <laughs> Yeah, the villain is played by the guy that did uh, Ra's al Ghul in the Batman the Animated Series. Oh, Ra's al Ghul? Yeah. I, I don't know the name of the actor, but yeah, he does the voice of the villain in Baldur's Gate 2. I'm checking it now. Let's see. Okay. There's, so, there's so many possible uh, animated Ra's al Ghuls at this point. <laughs> There's so many of these. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Rachel Gould voiced by... Uh, so why would you do this to me? <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Batman the Animated Series. Rachel Gould was played by David Warner. Okay. Sounds familiar. Yeah, that's... that's there's there's a lot of great voices in that. Yeah. But who did the, you voice uh, in? Uh, Baldur's Gate. The villain. I forget the, his name. Not. It's, uh, and it's specifically Baldur's Gate Two, not. Yeah, Baldur's Gate One has a different villain. You're right. Oh, I can I can just check his video game credits and save you save you some time. <laughs> it is Ironicus. Okay. Yeah. And the uh, the guy. He brought him back. They brought him back for the the new expansion? Yeah, the 2016 Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear still has... Siege of Dragonspear still has him as Ironicus. Jesus, I need to play that. <laughs> and that makes sense, because it takes place between 1 and 2. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Um, the guy that does the voice in Winnie the Pooh. I always forget his name. Jim Cummings? Yeah, he does voices in, I believe, both Baldur's Gate games. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, like they've always been good about getting like really good actors. Like I know uh, Freddie Prince Jr. does voices in Vega Dragon Age. In, but he was also Vega in uh, what do you call him? Uh, he was Vega in Mass Effect Three. Uh, 
And people like were like, Freddie Prince Jr., I don't remember him from anything. And then he's like voice acting. He's like, oh, he's actually a good voice actor. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Jim Cummings was Minsk. Ah, which, perfect. Uh, yeah, kind of one of the characters people tend to most remember. Let's see. It's a lot of... Oh, my God. This character has a Wikipedia page. That's insane to me. Minsk? <laughs> yes. And, like, not a small one. No, of course not. He needs a huge page. Need all the quotes about the space hamster. They kept making reference to that. <laughs> Go for the eyes. Ah, oh, classic. That brings me back. They kept referencing that because there's a one of Tally's abilities in two will uh, cause her to send out like a little like drone, and if she gives it one of its one of the commands she can give it will cause her to shout "Go for the optics." <laughs> nice. nice. It was a good. It was a good callback. Yeah. So I. I will probably pick up that set of games because, you know, it's just fun. I am uh, interested. <laughs> and I, like, I will buy most anything on Switch, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, if it's an older game that I have any sort of interest in, and if it's on Switch, it's like, hell yeah, I'll buy it again. Yeah. So... Number one on eShop, Final Fantasy Nine. Nice. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> for like a week, for more than a week, it has been number one in the eShop. That's insane to me. Uh, I'm glad because people still, no, it's don't, great. still don't seem to care about that game. I freaking love it. I've yeah. been a fan of that game since it was new. Uh, like, I spent. Uh, one of my siblings was, like, after the recent direct, was like, oh, I can't wait for Final Fantasy VII on Switch. I'm like, well, you can get a Final Fantasy game. Now in Final Wait, Fantasy how? IX, and I know that none of you played it back in the day, and I did, and I got no response. So good. <laughs> no response. Oh man! Plus, it has speed up, which fixes Nine's only real problem, which is that yeah. Nine has, like, because of the PS1 loading and them deciding to do four characters per battle, which the PS1 has difficulty loading in at that level of detail. <laughs> but yeah, just being able to speed it up, it doesn't speed up the music, which is also important. But. Uh, Oh man, I, I freaking love uh, FF9. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up 7 as well because I adore that game. But uh, 9 is very, very special to me. And, you know, oh man. Like, it is weird to me how many PS1 games I'll be picking up on the Switch because mm. I'm also going to pick up Grandia when that happens. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember 9 being especially important for me because I think at that point I was feeling really nostalgic for, like, the SNES games, so to get something like that that felt... See, these can still happen. Yeah, it felt mostly like one of those games, only in 3D, and probably some of the best 3D on the PS1. It was just... It was great. Oh, did you see that we're getting... uh, that they're making some minor updates to Zodiac Age when it comes out on Switch and Xbox? I did not see that. The ones that they showed were that in... Oh, which call? You can go to your clan headquarters and change characters' jobs. Oh. Like these are apparently being patched into the PS4 version when the Switch and Xbox versions comes out. Come out, but like they're adding that. And the other thing is that you can have three sets of gambits per character. 
Interesting. So you don't, like, you can... It's a little easier to, like, you don't have to go in and switch individual ones on and off. You can just have three gambits that they do. That's pretty cool. I can't believe Final Fantasy XII gambits are actually just a scripting language. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so... Oh, man. I, I cannot... There is a disgusting amount of just older RPGs that are coming to Switch that I'm just going to play the hell out of. Hell yeah. Especially Final Fantasy XII. FF12, FF9, probably FF10 too. And then, although technically it's not really an older RPG, I certainly plays like some. Dragon Quest Eleven later this year. Oh, DQ11, yeah. uh, Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. I've heard people like who I didn't even know cared about Dragon Quest get excited for specifically Dragon Quest Eleven on Switch. So I feel like Nintendo is probably doing a lot more to push it than it was going to get elsewhere. So plus, people just buy things on Switch in a yeah. way that's very advantageous. Uh, yeah, I'd like to check and see if like a lot of the indie games are still selling best on Switch because that was one. They of the, still sell great. Yeah, that was one of the craziest things where we kept reading articles like, "Yeah, these games are selling better than they are on PC." The the way that I saw it most was the uh, the most recent one I saw was Monster Boy back in like December. Where it was like this outsold every other version like eight to one. Yeah, that's that is crazy to me. And that's a great game. Everyone yeah. should not sleep on that one. But yeah, it's it's uh, interesting the kind of uh, it, it helps a system to sell games and for uh, games to sell a system when just being on the system is inherently appealing mm-hmm. so that uh, that hybrid format worked out pretty well for us <laughs> are we gonna discuss any of the other like insane rumors involving microsoft no what were the other ones the other ones were just that like microsoft is looking to port some of their games that make sense on the switch the one that seems to keep coming up is ori in the blind forest i did not hear that but i would absolutely Oh, I doubled it on that, that game. Hell yes. Hell yes. Please. Like, Ori is so freaking good. I would double dip on that in a heartbeat. But the other thing was that they, like... So when they announced Game Pass, the thing that you were playing Sea of Thieves via, yeah. uh, one of the things that they announced was that they wanted to make that game games from that playable streaming on as many platforms as possible. And the indication... Like, everyone's the natural assumption was, oh, that means phone. Yeah, And that definitely does still mean phones, and that definitely does still mean PC. But rumor says that they may also have gotten permission to do that on Switch. Mm. Which would be very strange. Yes, Probably not an ideal way to play most things, but I mean, if you got some old RPGs on a, on a Game Pass, I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Anything that doesn't require Twitch action plays fine in that context. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. We will see. I mean... So many strange things. Just so much madness floating about. I mean, the Nintendo and Microsoft were the first ones to jump on crossplay, so yeah, you never know. And the uh, the rumor about like an Xbox Live 
accessible like API to like get at your other stuff is already basically confirmed. So get your chivos, I guess. But, yeah. So what is it? What a strange world we're living in. Twenty nineteen is a okay. strange time. <laughs> <laughs> very very strange. Yeah, I guess that runs us out of discussion topics. I think so. We made a decent meal out of this podcast, nearly two hours. (laughs) I feel like there was something else I wanted to bring up, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, Was it news, or was it just something you'd been... Something I'd been playing. Hmm. Let's see, what would would a wheel have been playing in these past Pokemans, and... Yeah, Pocket Monster. Pally Dance. And this over, thing that you're playing right now on the stream. Overwatches, <laughs> yes. Just I, basically Paladin's the same. <laughs> yes, I call it um, generic brand Overwatch. It's it's off-brand, but I mean it seems to play well, so that's fine. Yeah, it plays fine, and it plays on Switch, which is the important thing. Um, so me, when are you going to get roped into Apex Legends? Bring me over Switch. I have already been roped into Apex Legends, sir. On which console? Or PS4. PC? I can play it with you. They don't require you to have online. Oh, sweet. PS Plus. So, you know, maybe we can do that sometime. You want to do it after the stream? Uh, I might have a thing to do after the stream is a okay. problem. Else I would. Yeah, we'll do it another night. Yeah. Uh, maybe Thursday or something. We'll sure. Uh, <laughs> Feel free to join us, listeners. <laughs> yes, we will need a third. I can hopefully one day get, like, the fr- every time I see Apex Legends, my brain goes to Apex Predator, and I realize that that can't be right. And then my brain just every time regurgitates the same worst pun ever, which is Apex Redditor. <laughs> Listen, I just want them to, you know, so they got this. It's sort of in the Titanfall 2 world. Just, yeah. just give me Apex Titans. <laughs> Uh, that'd be nice. That would be uh, they also, they're non-committal about Apex Legends coming to Switch. Yeah, you said it's on the Source engine, right? Yep, yeah. but they didn't... The thing that surprised me is that they didn't say no. <laughs> they didn't say it wasn't feasible, and they didn't say no. They said, we're still looking into it. Interesting. So, I mean, it would really just end up being a question of... Uh, I mean, because they're going to want to get that on everything, like yeah. Fortnite is. So they're going to try yeah. to get that on phones. They're going to try to get that on everything. So. Yeah, they, they get a good thing running. They're going to want to put it to the world at yeah. this point. Yeah, so if the, so I, like, because of how successful it is, because it, like, they're going to try to optimize it for everything, I wouldn't count out a Switch version in maybe, like, a year. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I... Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that Respawn isn't getting this success with Titanfall, which was awesome, but, you know, they deserve some sort of success at this point. There's, so still, there's still DNA of what I like in yeah, Titanfall yeah. in Apex Legends. It's not as, like, Titanfall was so, like, it gave you so many options that no other game shooter will give you, and that's really cool. But also really intimidating. Yeah. So. But I mean, yeah. Obviously, Battle Royale not on does not, not top my list of genres. But Apex Legends was the one I've had the most fun with for sure. 
In conclusion, Apex Redditor. Yes. No escape. Uh, now that I've implanted that into your brain, it has to keep happening. Battle Royale, where one player is a predator. That's basically the premise behind, I think, Dead by Daylight, except it's not really a royale. It's just that one player is going to kill everyone else, and everyone else is trying to escape. Interesting. Uh, see also the Friday the 13th game that is apparently basically the same as Dead by Daylight, <laughs> but which was just completely tanked by uh, by licensing, like, rights issues with Friday the 13th. Oops. So they went back to Dead by Daylight. <laughs> Which already has a bunch of licenses in it, just not, not. Uh, it, it has a bunch of licenses in it, just none of them are disputed, like Jason. Fun. So it has Halloween. It has Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It has Nightmare on Elm Street. But it doesn't have Jason, and the game that did is uh, super, super in the ground. <laughs> That idea is interesting to me, like, so much of the idea of competitive balance is based around the idea of both players having the same tool set, but it's also just really interesting to play a game where both players have objectives that are at cross-purposes with each other. <laughs> and I'm glad that that idea has started to meld its way into the online shooter, like the, the hero-based shooter like Overwatch, like Apex, where everyone has a little, has a an idea of like what their character does. Right. Is see. And you know, one of the Apex Legends characters gets to play more like a Titanfall character, they get a grappling hook. Yeah. Up next, someone who can run on walls. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know, it will be interesting to see uh what characters they add, which obviously they're going to do over time. And sell them at a pretty price, because EA Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was listening to um, some podcast where they talking about uh, Apex Legends, and they were like, "Oh, maybe they just stealth launched it so they wouldn't have have all the the giant shitstorm about all the microtransactions in the game, which I haven't seen much complaint about, actually." Yeah, I think the the <laughs> the bigger thing that shows that they had what they weren't confident about is that they stealth launched it like a week before Anthem. <laughs> Speaking of Bioware, consider this a... uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that game underperformed. Yeah. uh, I'm going to take the plunge in it sometime soon because um, I've heard... You're you're the Destiny man. I'm the Destiny (laughs) man, and I've heard from someone I trust, i.e. Kolf Silk, the guy I played lots of Destiny with, that it... Yes, that it is actually much improved from uh, what the reviewers played, so... uh, They're just, they're making rapid progress on it, and the problem is that they decided that it needed to be out now instead of 90 days from now. Yes, it was launched too early, um, not as early as, say, a certain Fallout game, perhaps? I feel like the Fallout game's problem is that, oh, that was launched so early that they hadn't determined how to make it fun yet. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is taking launching early to extreme new levels. Ludicrous (laughs) extreme. Yes. But it's just one of those situations where, like, 76 feels like they dumped some money into it, and it was 
technically you could play it and do things in it, but they hadn't determined what its actual gameplay loop was at any point in development. Yeah. Uh, whereas Anthem just feels apparently maybe just a bit undercooked, maybe needs some tweaks and different content. It's, it's Destiny Iron Man, so... Yeah. I mean... But I've seen lots of love for it, and you know, I think after kind of bashing it on the the uh, year awards show, I felt bad seeing a developer tweeting about how they were so excited their kids were playing the game, and it's oh. like, it's like oh, you got to remember, even when even when you despise the game, humans made it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's easy to, to pile on to a game that's had a rough time, but. Yeah, you got it. I would like them to turn bit. it around, at least in part because I would like Bioware to continue. Yeah, it. it's it's Bioware, you know. It's by and that that's the thing too. It's like even if it got bad reviews, it's Bioware. There's got to be something good in there, and I've seen a lot of encouraging things about where the story goes. Uh, the further the, the lore it. sounds honestly more interesting to me than Destiny's did yeah. for what that's worth. And I've seen like a lot of love for whoever the villain is in the game, so. There's a lot of encouraging stuff there, and it's like uh, I need to just take the plunge because otherwise it's it's going to be one of those things where it gets stuck it's in my eat brain. At you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen that happen to me before too. Oh, absolutely. Where it's like, oh, I'm not going to play this, and then it just. <laughs> I, I we all do that. There's like this situation where like you're something is stuck in your head. Your like thought process is well, I don't intend to play it, but it doesn't leave your head until you satisfy some urge to yes. interact with it. But yeah, like, I mean, let me know how it goes. I mean, I like Bioware. I would be more interested in playing that. So, yeah. I certain, like, certainly liked, like, the base gameplay idea. Like, hey, it's Destiny, except you're Iron Man. Um, absolutely love that idea. Jetpacks are cool, actually. <laughs> Jetpacks are rad as shit. Excuse my language. This is like the third time you said that. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I certainly want it to be good, and... So, if it's already improving, then I'm convinced that I need to just jump in. So, yeah, uh, more on that later, and I will probably stream stream it on the RP Gamer channel. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll watch, I'll uh, observe. Uh, the only thing I would say to be careful about, from what I've heard, is that you need to be careful of the. Apparently, the game can matchmake you into missions that are much further in the story than you're at. Oof. My favorite that I've heard is, like, level three players accidentally wandering into the final boss fight. Oof. That... <laughs> Oof. So be careful Thanks. of that. Duly noted. So, yeah. But, yeah, like, let me know how it turns out, and if you do if you do end up enjoying it, what system you get it on, and I'll... Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna be PS4. Cause, yeah. Uh, okay. Obviously, I'll probably play it with Silk, so gotta gotta get it on PS4. That's PS4. Yeah, PS4 is basically my multiplayer console, which is why I've been trying to avoid like anything single player on it because it's like, well, my PS4. I'm is already on. going. I'm going to be sick of looking yes. at this thing after a while anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, oh, PS4. Um, I'm on PS4. I'm gonna play the single player game. Oh no! Oh no! People I, are playing. Turns out that I'm playing. People playing Destiny. Oh. My sister's streaming Overwatch. Oh, <laughs> crap. Okay. So, yeah, like, let me know. If you end up enjoying that, I might find a way to take the plunge with you. All right. Sounds good to me. 
Not that Mar- probably not until April. March is a nightmare hell month yeah. in terms of game releases, yeah. but well, I'm, it's going to be slow progress anyway because once I, the Division Two, I will be playing as well. God, there's so many of these now. <laughs> the Division. Is that what they call it? Is that or is that something you call it? <laughs> that, that is specifically what someone on a certain podcast, Laser Time. Uh, oh, okay. yes. And it's stuck in my brain now. <laughs> now you're dead. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. We should probably wrap it. Yeah. Now we're rambling in many different directions now. Um, Most of them are RPG adjacent. It's true. It's true. So, uh, send us questions to usual places. Um, especially about... Re- you know what? Send us some questions and thoughts about Bioware. What are your fi- What's your favorite Bioware game? What's your favorite Bioware moment, perhaps? Hopefully, um, by the time that we, hopefully by the time we read them, no one at the studio will have ha- been hit with a mass layoff. Yes. Yes. But, by the way, I don't think I have any friends working at Activision anymore. Oh. Oh. Wow. No. That's rough. Haven't actually talked to them, so I don't know if they left of their own volition beforehand or not. But yes, they accepted one of the buyouts. Okay, but yeah, questions in the usual places. Talk to, uh, ask me about Bioware. Um, oh man, that reminds me of one guy I met at uh, a PAX who was wearing a "Ask Me About Lum," uh, not Lum, "Ask Me About Loom" badge <laughs> from one of the old LucasArts adventures. Oh and god, I remember when that I game. T- when I I walk, I asked him, "Hey, tell me about Loom," and he was like. You're the first person that has actually asked about it. I had this entire thing memorized, and he goes off on the frickin' Loom speech. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Oh, my God. Fucking Loom. Man. That's that's one of those games that never got a sequel that was very neat. <laughs> yeah, that was a w- weird game. I played that on my Macintosh in black and white, if I recall correctly. It apparently sold just fine. There was just like everyone else, everyone involved with it was busy on other projects, and they just yeah. never got back to it. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah, it's a really neat game. But yeah, uh, questions, usual places. Uh, like we're always happy to hear from you. Thanks again, Budai, for providing all of this episode's questions. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, uh, please never take another vacation again. <laughs> yeah, we'll die. Uh-huh. <laughs> Or maybe just, like, bring your phone along and just <laughs> send us questions. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I guess see you, Space Cowboys. Maybe we should start a, uh, what is it called? Uh, what's, not Patreon, um... I don't think that, uh, enough people would want to pay to hear this to start a Patreon. <laughs> no, 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 not a pay, not for us. I mean to, like, get Budai a good mobile phone with, like... <laughs> Some sort of app to send us questions. <laughs> if you want to write the app, we can do that. But I could do that. I think that's written. In... What are iOS apps written in again? Like Oxygen? There's an app for that. Wow. Oh. <laughs> God. No. No. It's canceled. Q&A quest is canceled. Wheels is canceled. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time, folks. See you, Space Cowboys. Ending the stream. Oh, so unhappy.